Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're like kids in a candy store, literally, because this month, we're all about homemade confections. From a sweet, nutty snack mix to homemade licorice and Brazilian truffles, we'll have homemade sweets perfect for gift-giving. But first, we're tackling one of Stefan's 19 for 19, homemade marshmallows. Better than store-bought? Let's find out. Finally, we'll chat about listeners' beloved baking hand-me-downs. From bunt pans to muffin tins, the kitchen can be a nostalgic place to stay connected through the generations, especially at holiday time. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Hey, Andrea, back in episode 147, I know I tantalized you and listeners with the Costa Biscoff muffin, and I am here with an update. (laughs) That's right. So you said Costa is a coffee chain in the UK that kind of rivals Starbucks or is similar to Starbucks here in the US, yes? Right. It's actually the world's second largest chain after Starbucks, and they're everywhere here in London, just like you would see a Starbucks kind of everywhere. Well, and it sounds like you planned on doing some field research on this Mm -hmm. Biscoff Mm -hmm. muffin, so I can't wait to hear what you thought. As promised, I'm taking one for the team, and yes, I stopped by a local Costa Coffee at Tottenham Court Road one Saturday while doing errands. Here is the rundown, and if you didn't hear me intro this muffin, it is a limited edition muffin that this (laughs) coffee chain had. Only through the end of October. It was very tense. Like, I had to get there, you know? I had to do it by October 31. Limited edition. Oh, my gosh. Limited edition. So here is the review. It is really a basic kind of spice cake muffin with, as promised, a huge core of cookie butter in the middle. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty good. It had like a light caramely type of icing. Okay. All right. But Andrea... As we discussed in episode 147, the hugest marketing push behind these Biscoff muffins was the fact that they were going to be topped with the real Biscoff cookie on top. Yeah. No Biscoff cookie on top. What? Bait and switch. (laughs) And unfortunately, the gentleman working behind the register just drew a blank when I said, oh, where's the little Biscoff cookie? And he said, yes, that's the Biscoff muffin. And I said, oh, but I think it's supposed to come with the Biscoff cookie. And then I just felt like greedy at that point. Like, where's my muffin with my cookie on top? (laughs) And he didn't realize that you were engaged in some very intensive field research. So he probably just thought you were a demanding sort of unhinged customer. Do you want a cookie with your muffin, ma'am? What exactly are you asking me? Anyhow, that was a little bit disappointing. But Andrea, I am more convinced than ever that we can create a preheated original. I think the spice muffin has some potential to be amped up in flavor. And I know when you're doing industrial baking, there's things that are limited or you have to have different considerations than home baking. But Mm -hmm. I think this has the potential to be a real winner. Nice spice muffin base, delicious, you know, big like quarter cup 
core of cookie butter and then a light glaze and the cookie on top. I think we can do it. I think we can do that. I think coming up with one of our own Biscoff recipes as a 2420 baking mm. resolution yes. is definitely on our list. And yeah. whether it's this one or something else, I'm happy to experiment with cookie butter all you need me to. So okay. I stand by your side ready to assist. Thank you so much, my friend. Well, stay tuned, listeners. That one's coming down the pike in 2020. Our first recipe for this fun month of confection affection is homemade marshmallows. And it comes from a food blog called Foodie with Family. Stefan, you picked this particular recipe. So why don't you tell us what about it grabbed your eye and why it was that you thought you needed to attempt making marshmallows at home. <laughs> I have strangely wanted to make marshmallows at home for years, Andrea. It is one of those recipes that has always captured my imagination. Mm -hmm. I can draw it back to watching Martha Stewart when Martha Stewart used to have her living show. So this is what, how long has that been show been gone now? Like 10, oh almost 15 years maybe? Yeah. Maybe about that? Yeah. And there was a holiday episode. She was making homemade marshmallows. And I was just entranced by this. It looks so difficult, but really, when you get into it, I'm not sure it is that difficult. So it's been very intimidating for me. I've wanted to try it, have heard they are just superior in every way to the kind you can buy in a bag. I also think, and this is something that is going to be true all month, I think this is a really nice thing to package up as gifts. And we are doing a lot of kind of fun gifts that you can nibble on of course or just serve at your own home but then also package up and give out this holiday season so i think with hot cocoa or just for snacking i think these are going to be a really nice first entry into confection affection month now this was a new blog to me andrea but i loved and i should back up and say there's like a bazillion homemade marshmallow recipes on the internet <laughs> yeah i bet you do not have to look far so i really did try to cull through all of them. And I really liked this. I liked, she had a very straightforward recipe, all of the equipment that you need ahead of time. She's getting five-star reviews on this from her audience. And she also has a lot of variations. So the standard recipe is a vanilla marshmallow we all think of. But she has a lot of variations mm. if you want to play around with your batch or if you really like this and want to do other flavors. So that's kind of my thinking behind it. Andrea, what's your background with marshmallows? Have you made them? I've never made them. I have a lot of thoughts about marshmallows. Okay. Number one, it cracks me up that people often say something like, oh, it's so superior to store-bought. Well, really? I, I hope so. Because store-bought marshmallows are kind of <laughs> disgusting, in my opinion. I hope so. so <laughs> you know, that is not setting a high bar in my mind. Um now, if you've seen me sit around a fire and do s'mores, you might think, gosh, Andrew, you're such a hypocrite. I've seen you go to town on some marshmallows. And it is true that I enjoy them when they're roasted and nestled between some melted chocolate and graham crackers. But just yes. on their own, uh, marshmallows do not grab me. So I, like you, have seen tons of recipes for homemade marshmallows never had any desire to make them. Yeah. And of course, that's when you came along and said, let's make homemade marshmallows. <laughs> and I thought I would 
maybe do a little research into the marshmallow because I thought, okay, maybe if I find out more about these, you know, that'll sort of Mm. capture my attention. Okay, okay. The first thing that shocked me is to learn that marshmallows are actually an ancient treat. What? So marshmallows come. They seem so like 1950s to me. That's what I thought too. And I just felt like the rise of them on places like Pinterest, I just thought it was a very modern thing. But no, marshmallows actually come from a sweet sap of a mallow plant. And it grows in salty marshes near large bodies of water. And this plant grows two to four feet high. What? So that's how we get the name marsh plus mallow equals marshmallow. Okay, you're blowing my mind. I know. Wait, there's more. Ancient Egyptians used this mallow root for making their candied delicacies, but it was only for their gods, nobility, and the pharaohs. And it was okay. a crime for anyone else to eat this sugar-like treat. Oh Whoa. So the Egyptian marshmallows were a mixture of the mallow sap, honey, grains, and then they would bake it into cakes. And then this also spread to the Romans and the Greeks. They also love the mallow plant. And they believe that brewed mixtures of this cured sore throats and pains. And then that continued in the 15th and the 16th centuries. Marshmallow liquids were given as treatments for toothaches, coughs, sore throats, and indigestion. Well, Andrea, I have seen on Pinterest or other search engines recently about chewing a marshmallow for sore throats. So that is coming back around. Ancient history. Yeah. It was even believed to have been used as a love potion in the 15th and the 16th centuries. But I can tell you right now, I would not have been susceptible to that. (laughs) All of this from this thing we think of as this very generic, sugary nothing in a plastic bag. I know. Just kind of a throwaway. Right. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't until the 1800s that the French, of course change the use of the mallow plant and from being mainly medicinal into more of a candy that adults would consume. And French shop owners discovered that if they cooked and whipped marshmallow sap with egg whites and corn syrup, they could have this easily moldable creation. So that's where the marshmallow as we know it today was born. Wow. I got all of this information from a wonderful website from Boyer Candy in Altoona, Pennsylvania, the Boyer Candy Company. Thank you. And they make the mallow cups. Have you seen those? No. Is it molded from a marshmallow? Um, yes. And I think it's a very nostalgic candy. People have, according to their website, been asking them forever, do you still make mallow cups? It's been around since the 1930s. They were one of the very first cup candies produced in the United States. And so it was actually fun for me to go and read this history of marshmallows. I am now reinvigorated about trying to make at home something that has, you know, been around since more than 2,000 years ago and used to be a delicacy for only gods, nobility, and pharaohs. And now I can make (laughs) in my very own home kitchen and serve to my family. I... (laughs) I'm not even sure I can continue this show. I may need to just go lie down now. (laughs) I know. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Mind is blown. I thank you so much for doing that. I mean, I had no idea. Well, let's look at this recipe. And specifically, I know that one of the key ingredients here is gelatin. And that is something that you have occasionally had difficulty finding in terms of the way it's sold in the U.S., which is the powdered packets of Knox gelatin. Yeah. The recipe here says you can use unflavored gelatin, which is the three envelopes of Knox gelatin. What are you going to do for that? 
Yeah, and we have talked in the past in the UK, more prevalent is a leaf gelatin. We have talked at some length about how you substitute that. It is not an easy substitution. Mm. I am going to rely on imported Knox gelatin that my mother has brought me uh, during a recent visit to London. Mm. So mm. I think it is a time when you want to get your hands on the powdered or find a recipe that specifically calls for leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I bet that's out there. In fact, I will put that on my to-do list. If oh, I can you. find a recipe that uses the leaf gelatin, then um, I'll go ahead and post that in our show notes. You're also using some granulated sugar, some light corn syrup. I'm wondering, are you going to use our favorite Lyle's golden syrup? I think that would be a fine substitution here, although I do have, speaking of our 19 for 19 uh, waste not, want not, I have, I think, just enough light corn syrup in my pantry right now. Oh, okay. So, yes. yeah, if you've got that, go ahead and use it for sure. I don't have any, so I, that's why I'm thinking I want to use my Lyles. And then just water, salt, some pure vanilla extract, or, Stefan, as you mentioned, there's a bunch of variations of this so yeah. there's a combination of other flavor extracts you could use this is for the vanilla version and then some confectioner sugar or icing sugar now i really liked this recipe and the author is rebecca lindamood and she's very organized about this recipe we've talked in the past how much that makes a really big difference so she lists all your equipment and then what you need to do for the steps so although there are a lot of words in this recipe if you follow them closely i don't think i'm hopeful that it will be fairly straightforward. And the first is to get your nine by nine or eight by eight inch square pan and line it with plastic wrap and then lightly oil it. Now, I haven't made marshmallows before, but I have used them in like crispy treats or other baked goods. You know how sticky they are, Andrea. Mm -hmm. I think this is not a step you want to skip. Oh yeah, no. And she says you can oil it using your fingers or using a nonstick cooking spray. So I'll probably just use the cooking spray. I think that'll be fairly easy. And basically then it looks like marshmallows are a combination here of the gelatin and then a hot sugar syrup. So you're going to take that granulated sugar, light corn syrup, and some water. You're going to boil it hard for a minute. Andrea, this is the time for our PSA, like when we are making caramel. I believe when you're boiling sugar, you want to be boiling sugar and do nothing else. Be very careful, tie your hair back, get small children out from underneath, and really pay attention there. Yeah, and as a reminder, use a pan with high sides because it can start to climb in your pan. Then once you've done that and you have your gelatin softened, you're going to combine them. And then your KitchenAid really does the work here. Mm -hmm. You're going to add the air in, and I think it's going to magically turn into marshmallow fluff at that point. Should be some really interesting. 10 to 12 minutes. Really interesting kitchen chemistry. I'm so excited. So I can't wait. Thanks again to Rebecca at Foodie with Family for homemade marshmallows. And thanks to you for all of that amazing historical backstory. I'm going to be thinking about the pharaohs when I'm making my marshmallows. Yes, please channel your inner Cleopatra. (laughs) One thing I did want to point out, too, for those of you who are baking along with us, and especially if you plan on giving this as a gift, this recipe does require some setup time. So it says that you can let it sit for a few hours or overnight. Yes, Um, Make sure if you're planning on giving it to someone or serving these that you plan on doing it, I would just say the day ahead. Yeah, a good point, definitely. Well, remember, we'll have a link to this recipe for homemade marshmallows in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 153. That will be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as over in our Facebook listeners group. 
Andrea, we've had lots of discussions over the last few years about baking-related hand-me-downs, like my grandma's cookie cutters and your mom's collection of vintage cookbooks. But what really started us on this road to this mini-segment, which we're calling Beloved Baking Hand-Me-Downs, was listener Anna's picture of her great-grandmother's KitchenAid stand mixer last May. Oh, yes, I love that picture. Just think about how many treats that has whipped up over the years. (laughs) If only gadgets could talk, right? Right? Well, we thought holiday time was the perfect time to get a little nostalgic and ask our listeners what gadgets, recipes, and other baking-related goodies they'd had passed on to them. And boy, did we get a heartfelt list. I know. Preheaters are always so great about sharing their baking love. One huge trend right out of the gate was hand-me-down rolling pins. Listeners Nancy, Susan, Lorraine, and Rosemary have all inherited a special rolling pin, and listener Maggie is using one that her grandfather made for her grandmother. What an heirloom! Special baking pans are a big hand-me-down, too. Susan loves using a wonderfully dented loaf pan that belonged to her mother and still has her mother's handwriting on the bottom where she'd written her name in Sharpie so it wouldn't get lost at a potluck. Likewise, Kelsey uses her mother's springform pan, while her mother holds on to Kelsey's grandma's muffin tins and bread rising bowls. Speaking of special pans, I love the memory that listener Autumn shared. She uses a large bunt pan that was her grandma's. Baking kind of skipped a generation in Autumn's house. Her own mother was not that keen of a baker, so she left the pan in a cupboard and it rusted. When Autumn started baking at age 8, though, her mom pulled it out, cleaned it up, and passed it on. And Autumn has been using it for her chocolate cakes ever since. And speaking of another special pan, your mom, listener Betty, mentioned a cast iron cornbread skillet. I know. Every time I go home, I'm always combing the kitchen cabinets looking for little treasures. And I have somehow (laughs) missed that one. (laughs) Now, speaking of grandmas, Christine's kitchen is stocked with hand-me-downs from special grandmas in her life. From her grandmother-in-law, she has wooden spoons and nested mixing bowls used to make that lady's secret shortbread, which she insisted on making without a mixer. Christine also treasures her grandmother's plum pudding containers and double boiler, and another grandma's egg beaters. I inherited a variety of cookie cutters from my grandma, and I wasn't the only one. Listeners Lorraine and Kim have some from their relatives too, and it seems we all pull them out at Christmas cookie time. Oh, and wasn't it listener Kim who inherited a whole stove from her grandma? (laughs) Yes! She called it a Wedgwood, so I had to look it up as I wasn't familiar with that type of a stove. Turns out they are absolutely gorgeous stoves produced in the 30s, 40s, and 50s with dual ovens, a cooktop, and a warming drawer. They're highly coveted by antique collectors and bakers, and now by me. Yeah, me too. Many listeners have lots of passed down gadgets. Listener Rachel loves using her grandma's gear when she's visiting her aunt, and Amy uses her mom's mixer, cookie cutters, cookbooks, and metal spatula. Let's not forget some heirloom ways to store our baked goods. Listener Jennifer loves her real Tupperware, including cake holders and measuring cups, in signature yellow and avocado green. And listener Amy and I remember our mothers having a few of those colors too. Oh yeah, you know it's vintage if it's avocado green. (laughs) (laughs) Now, aside from gadgets, many listeners treasure their heirloom recipes. Listener Amy says the handwritten recipe file that features recipes from her grandmother, aunts, and family friends is a treasure she couldn't make without. And listener Christine says her most treasured hand-me-downs are also recipes and kitchen lessons. 
Of course, treasures don't have to come from family members to be loved. Listener Ruth reminded us that many of her favorite hand-me-downs come from the antique store or thrift shop and shared a picture of her Four Seasons copper pans, which she thinks started life as jello molds, but which she now uses for quick breads and fruitcakes. This answer really resonated with me because, as you know, listeners, I collect vintage cookbooks, and I love buying one that's filled with the previous owner's recipe notes and handwritten comments. Though I didn't know the baker personally, their notes make it so special and really come alive for me. I think the responses we got on this topic, Stefan, really speak to how deeply people treasure their baking hand-me-downs and shows how we are all products of our baking heritage and traditions. Listeners, if you didn't get a chance to weigh in on this segment before we had to record it, drop us a line at host at preheatedpodcast.com or post on our Facebook listeners group and keep those photos coming. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we're up with the review of our homemade marshmallows. Did our KitchenAids get a workout, and was it worth it? We'll also introduce our second Christmassy confection, a sweet and spicy snack mix from preheated fave David Leibovitz, and chat about our listeners' favorite holiday cookies. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes and at annemarierussell.com. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. No Biscoff muffin on top. You're going to want to say that again. You said no Biscoff muffin. <laughs> what am I eating? What day is it? <laughs>